well, your toe bone connected to you. Foot bone, your foot bone connected to you. Heel bone, your heel bone connected to you. Hello and welcome to the Bone and Joint Playbook with Dr. John Erse. Tips for pain-free aging. Dr. John Erse is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon with over 35 years experience in the Dayton, Ohio area. He is also a clinical fellowship trained surgeon in total joint replacement from Harvard. This episode is brought to you by... Ted's Authentic Greek Salad Dressing and Marinade. It's healthy, gluten-free, and delicious. You can find Ted's in Dayton, Ohio at Dorothy Lane Markets, Health Foods Unlimited, and Dots Markets. That's Ted's Authentic Greek Dressing and Marinade. Thanks, Ted. Well, all right, folks. This is Terry O'Brien with the Bone and Joint Playbook. I'm here with Dr. John Erse, and we have some special guests with us today. We have Dr. Paul Kalazic, who is a specialty. Uh, he focuses on metabolic health, and he also is a um, ER doc. So we're going to be getting into a lot of topics that cover orthopedics, as well as some of the things that can be affected by weight loss in orthopedics. Uh, so Dr. John, say hello. Hello, Terry. How are you? Uh, how do I look? We're doing another video podcast. That is the, the question. Well, I think you look great. You've uh, got a very stylish hat and a nice guitar behind you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Dr. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks to both of you for having me. So one of the things I want to make sure we kind of disclose, we actually do podcasts for Dr. Uh, Kalazic on metabolic health and weight loss. And we also produce a bone and joint playbook for Dr. John Erse. Uh, so today we're combining both of those together to get a greatest hit show. But before I get started, I do have to I have to show something here. And you guys got to explain this. All right, folks, what you're seeing here is a picture from we think is 1971 from a small Catholic school somewhere in Columbus. Uh, and the folks you see on the screen right here is Dr. John Earth. And the guy you see over here is Dr. Paul Kalazic. And they haven't seen each other or talked to each other in 50 years. And it's taken this podcast to bring them back together on the mat to, to wrestle down some of these topics that we're going to talk about today. Uh, any thoughts before we get started on serious stuff about this this picture, guys? I don't no? know. What, what do you say? What do you, what say? Do you say? Yeah. I mean, John looks tough there. I'm prepubescent. <laughs> How old were <laughs> I you? I will guarantee you I am not at my wrestling weight <laughs> that I was at at that point. Now, before I close this picture, did you guys ever wrestle each other? Uh, no. John was, I mean, in practice, and he kicked my ass, so. <laughs> well, there's a guy that's two over from me named Dan Heffernan. He took second in the state, and he just beat the crap out of me every day. He had a beard like like Robert De Niro at age 12, probably, and he just would grind that into my the back of my head and shove my face in the mat. And in wrestling, it's like a lot of sports. So you, you get the crap beat out of you, and then you distribute that to the person you're wrestling in the next match so i guess that's how you go through a lot of things in life all right so uh one one thing i do want to note dr paul your son is like third or fourth in the country as a wrestler correct yeah he's winding up his career but he's done pretty good after college on the olympic level but i, I think he's going to move on he's going to actually try to get into medical school all right well congratulations all right so the today's topic is how being overweight or being obese affects orthopedic issues. And I want to start with Dr. John. Dr. John, I'd like to come to you and say, 
out of all the people that come to see you on a weekly basis, how many are overweight and how many could reduce the stress on their joints by just losing some weight? What, what, what do you think the percentages are there? Well, the, the book answers are 70 and 100. So 70% of people are overweight in the United States. And that's uh, this, this call does go global. So we're not uh, proud of that, but it's a fact. Um, 100% of people would improve their joint forces. And we're going to talk a little bit about what are called reactive forces to a hip or knee based on losing a little bit of weight. So we get a almost a four to six fold benefit for every pound of uh, weight you lose, you decrease by four to six times the force across your hip or knee. So there's a tremendous benefit. We're going to have Dr. Paul talk about how much, you know, is, is desirable to lose, but 5% of your weight or even better, 10% of your weight is going to make a drastic, significant difference on how now, do your people hip come in, Do people come in to see you that if they lose weight, they don't need to see you? Well, they absolutely, we want to do a few things. And, and again, I always teach my residents, our job is to get somebody to age 90 with their body parts. So if you're 38 years old and overweight, the answer isn't replace your knee. We have a, a podcast on robotic knee replacements, but that's not the answer because you're, you know, that knee's not going to last through their lifetime, right? So you don't want to start pulling a trigger on something drastic. So you want to look at things that reduce the risk factors for what's called cartilage wear or disease progression, which may or may not be related to how the x-rays look. Some people have pain from an injury and our job is to quiet down the pain generators with therapy, rest, uh, bracing, uh, dietary control. There's certain foods are pro-inflammatory. I'm sure Paul can talk about that. But we look at a, a, an approach based on your age, your problem and what's been done and say, let's get you better and let's incorporate a lot of these modalities. Today, we're going to focus on dropping some weight and seeing the benefit to these weight-bearing uh, lower extremity joints. Okay, so Dr. Paul, I want to ask you a question, not as a metabolic doc, but as an ER doc. How many people do you see on a regular ba or weekly basis that are coming in with orthopedic issues into the ER? Oh, it's, it's a high percentage. So as we've talked previously, Terry, um, uh, I see the majority of patients seen in the emergency department have either vascular issues, which are related to high blood glucose and being overweight, as we can talk. And, and then I, I think bone and joint issues are the largest reason for disability in the United States. So seeing hip pain, knee pain, back pain is routine in the emergency department. What gets all the press in the ER is, you know, the gunshot wounds and the overdoses and the multiple traumas. But what emergency physicians see every day, day in and day out, are musculoskeletal issues and then the complications of high blood sugar. All right. Uh, all right. Back to Dr. John. So if, if somebody's coming into you with some joint pain and they're overweight, uh, what, what is the, you have some BMI numbers that you kind of calculate or some A1C numbers that you look at before you can do surgery? Well, yeah, let's talk about our little, uh, alphabet soup first. So yeah. a BMI is a body, it's a body mass index. It just means if you're this tall and you weigh this much, you have a body mass index of a certain number. Uh, a good number would be under 30 and a bad number would be a lot over that. <laughs> the anesthesia, the anesthesia departments vary around the country with what they're comfortable with putting a person to sleep for a procedure. So anything in the Dayton area in the 
the major networks we have here would be 45 BMI or higher, they just don't want to even consider doing a surgery on you. Now, you, you heard my brother, an anesthesia doctor in Michigan, they go, they go up to 55 up there and they, they take a few more um, risks or high, uh, high risk patients for uh, procedures. But one thing I tell my patients is even if you have a really bad hip or knee, if your weight is over the 45 BMI number, we can't really even fix your problem, let alone hope that you'll be able to exercise and get your new hip or knee to allow you to walk pain-free. The second number you talked about is an A1C, and Paul alluded to that. It's called a hemoglobin A1C, and it's like a three-month report card of how your diabetes is doing. So when that blood sugar sticks to some of the uh, blood vessels and, and blood cells, that hemoglobin A1C number gives you a, a gauge of how your sugar has been over the last three months. So we do a, like if Dr. Paul says, you look lightheaded in the emergency room, they may check your blood sugar and say, gosh, it's way low and your blood sugar is 50. We need to give you some orange juice and raise it. You'll feel better. And right. A1C should have a number under seven, which is uh, means your blood sugar has been in good control. And as we get over that number, if we get over 7.5, I personally won't do surgery on patients when their blood sugar is elevated because they're at risk for infections, uh, wound healing issues, uh, persistent problems after the procedure. So we're better telling people before surgery, your BMI, which is your body mass index, is too high. It needs to come down for, for me and the anesthesia people to clear you for surgery. Let's say you have to have it done, but you know, if it's an elective procedure, we, we don't do flights on thunderstorm days if we're pilots, and we don't do surgeries on risky patients if we don't have to. And then the number for the A1C is the thing you would go back to your healthcare provider to improve so that you would be able to have that surgery safely when that A1C number comes below 7.5. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the thing you just said, sending them back to their provider, right? And, and Dr. Paul, you and I have had this conversation so many times, like, like countless, about how the providers don't have time in their 20-minute session with you to talk about this in detail. Uh, what are some of the things you would do as an expert in this area that would say, okay, to help you lose weight uh, to get ready for surgery, I would suggest we do the following things. What are those things? So um, I very much believe, as we've talked before, Terry, that the reason for the majority of obesity in the country now is that we transitioned uh, from what was a low, relative low-carb diet after the food pyramid came out in the 70s to a higher-carb diet. And carbohydrates, whether it's sugar or complex carbohydrates like potato or rice or pasta, immediately become blood sugar in your system. So uh, the first goal is to control your blood sugar. And then we can get into the details at some point. But um, if, if you can bring that, first of all, increased blood sugar causes the deposition of fat around the middle. So that's how you gain weight. And if you can lower blood sugar, you can go ahead and reverse that process so that your body, your organs is looking for another source of energy. And that source of energy is that fat that has been depositive, which can then be broken down into fatty acids and, and uh and help to lose weight. So my whole program, which I've been providing for seven years, is focused on, on it used to be three, now it's four areas. One is 
go ahead and get that blood sugar down and you do that with a low carb diet. Um, and we're generally talking 50 grams of carbs a day. We can go into exactly what that means. The second leg of the stool is intermittent fasting because it also lowers blood sugar. Um, the third is strength training because strength training reverses a process called insulin resistance. And I won't get too wonky on that, but basically that's the reason you're laying down a lot of fat. And if you can increase your muscle mass, your muscles soak up more insulin, more blood glucose, and, and it lowers, uh, basically lowers your blood glucose as well. And then the last leg of the stool, which is new in the last few years, which I use very prudently um, for limited period times at lower doses, are these new GLP-1 medications, Wigovio, Zembic, et cetera. So if, if you're asking me to do strength training and I'm having issues in my shoulder, Dr. John, should I be doing strength training? Well, if you do the right kind, of course. So you can keep your elbow by your side, take a tubing or a stretch tubing, just like you'd pull a piece of taffy, right? Put yeah. on the tubing to a doorknob and just rotate the arm outward and back. Now, shoulders get unhappy when they go above a right angle uh, forward or away from the body. So there's ways. In fact, we, we had a, a podcast on rotator cuff stuff. And you remember, we find 6 million torn rotator cuffs every year with MRIs in the United States. We only fix 300,000 of them. So a whole lot of people never need surgery because we have them do, we have them do proper therapy, proper strengthening the other muscles and a little tear in a top muscle isn't disabling. As long as you strengthen the other ones around it, you lower your expectations. You're not going to be pitching for a baseball team and you're not trying to install ceiling panels above you. Uh, down low activities are good. Strength training, like a what's called a military press is good. A butterfly or bench press is, is more of a strain for a shoulder that's slipping out of place or for a uh, a rotator cuff problem. So we always recommend supervised therapy. And then I tell people, look, you may have a big copay for therapy. You may have a, um, a, a the wrong idea of what to do. Go to therapy for a visit or two. Say, show me what to do. I'm I'm motivated. I got a gym membership or I've got a, a little uh, setup at my house where I can do some of this myself. You need We need to guide people to the right way to do things. And then they're not making their problem worse. I see people um, doing the wrong therapies that bring the shoulder into what's called an impingement or rubbing uh, position, which aggravates the rotator cuff problems. And, and you don't want to do the wrong thing, trying to help yourself uh, improve from a pain condition. So what what joints, Dr. John, what joints are mostly affected by if you're overweight? Is it is it your knees and hips or is it everything? Yeah, it, yeah. and obviously foot and ankle. I don't want to forget our foot weenie partners. Um, <laughs> there are... Um, certainly benefits to the other body parts. And, and what I was going to talk about, not just the weight bearing to the lower extremities, you talked about that benefit to um, reducing force by cutting down a, a few pounds here and there. But think also about, um, we know that losing weight over four years significantly lowers cartilage degeneration. And remember, cartilage is the white gristle at the end of a chicken bone that keeps your cushion between the bones from rubbing and bones that rub together when they talk about bone on bone arthritis, that hurts. So if you adopt a, uh, a weight program over time to modify your activities, to improve your, your weight situation, well, there are MRI studies from the journal of radiology, like from 2017 recently that show these cartilage areas 
significantly, um, um, I would say, slow progression. We're not saying these go back to being normal, but our idea with some of these cartilage protective agents we take, some of the nutraceuticals, some of the activities, we're trying to slow cartilage progression, which is what leads to worsening of your symptoms. The second thing I tell people is your dietary choices help influence your uric acid. So we treat gout. We see people, you talk about something outside your hip and knee. If you've ever had a patient with gout with a big toe involvement, uh, and 90 some percent of people start with a big toe knuckle, swollen, painful gout, that is a uric acid, which is a type of protein from certain dietary excesses. It's, they call is that, it is that alcohol, from, from alcohol use. Is that what that's from? Disease of Kings. Yeah. Alcohol is actually, <laughs> um, it is called the disease of Kings because they show a, a, you know, King, you know, Louis the 15th holding a big Turkey leg and a glass of red wine and alcohol <laughs> actually competes for the little exit channels in your kidney for the body to get rid of uric acid. So if there's a lot of alcohol on board, people can flare up their gout and then therefore the gout, that's normally made by the body can't get out of the kidneys. It accumulates, then you get a flare up. So much like um, gout, another problem with diet sometimes or aggravated by diet are kidney stones. And if you want to talk about something that doesn't feel good besides oh, gout, try a kidney stone oh, and those hurt. So if you avoid spinach and talk to Dr. Paul and people that have uh, food lists for, you know, avoiding gout or kidney problems, these are other advantages in the musculoskeletal world um, that diet can help. Okay. Uh, can we jump real quickly into, I know that if, if you have somebody who comes in overweight and you say, I can't operate on you because you're 40 pounds over where you need to be, you say, go see your, your own healthcare provider, right? Is that what you do? You don't prescribe anything yourself. You don't try to give them advice yourself. You're, you're, you're kind of pushing that back to the, the other provider. Is that true? Well, I am, and I, I prefer they they use a simple simple question. How is your A1C? And if it's not being controlled, you don't need your person you're seeing to take care of that. You need a specialized provider who can attack this on a multi-level scale. Like what Paul's saying is he's he's going to approach this through your food, through your activity, through better sleep, through stress reduction, through whatever those things are, but you've got to change what you're doing to get a different outcome. And um, I, I don't prescribe the newer, and I think there's two things we should just touch on. Paul talked a little bit about these uh, weight loss uh, remedies, and these are FDA approved now for weight loss. They, are, they, they actually mimic a thing called a peptide or protein that goes to the brain and says, stop eating. It suppresses appetite. They're called GLP-1 mercifully abbreviating. And those are making Boku dollars for companies, but they also are something Paul can tell you, you have to be on a long time. So I want him to address those a little bit because they have a two-edged sword on their uh, benefit, but then some of the uh, uh, potential problems. The second thing we should just mention but not spend too much time on is these gastric bypass procedures, drastic um, surgical procedures that sometimes are done for considerably overweight people. And they again have benefits, but they also have risks and side effects. And I'd like Paul to talk a little bit about what he tells his patients about those. All right, Dr. Paul, let's turn to you. Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, the gastric bypasses are a very aggressive and, and, you know, have more risk than other 
approaches as we've talked about. Um, so for people that need them, it might be a consideration. I do see patients that have had previous gastric bypasses and regained weight. So I think a more conservative approach initially is appropriate. John touched base on, um, it, you know, going to somebody that really specializes in this area. And some of my best friends are primary care providers, and they are the backbone of American medicine. But, you know, they often have 20 minutes with a patient a couple times a year. And so they really don't have time really to focus on the things that we're talking about. Um, so, again, I, I think the first thing you do, especially if there's any consideration of using these medications, is get your lifestyle changes in place. And again, it's low carb diet, intermittent fasting, strength training to decrease insulin resistance. Um, because the medications I think are good medications. I think they're gonna become very, very widely prescribed. There's cost issues associated with them, which we can talk about at some point. But if you don't make the lifestyle changes first or focus on the lifestyle changes while you're on the medications, it's going to be an issue. And it's going to be an issue for two reasons. And those reasons are you lose muscle mass on these medications as you're losing weight. So you, you cannot be, should not be on these medications if you aren't doing strength training simultaneously. As John knows, we all lose 7% of our muscle mass per decade as we age. That has implications for osteoporosis for women. And so you've got to be strength training if you're on these medications. And then the other issue is potential lifelong dependency on them. And what I mean by that is, all the studies have shown when you go off the medications, you can regain up to 70% of the weight you lost. So if you aren't making the lifestyle changes, which I think, you know, again, need to be permanent, low carb, intermittent fasting, strength training. And if you aren't making those, then when you go off these medications, unless your plan is to be on these medications for life, then you're going to have that issue. So I integrate these medications um, into my programs, but it's, you know, as we've said before, Terry, it's begin with the end in mind and the end in mind is getting off the medications. And so we use lower doses for limited periods of time so we can titrate people down and off the medication. So can, can you, uh, I'll go to Dr. Paul right now. Can you talk a little bit about insulin resistance to a number of people in America Roughly, we think there's what 145 million people that are insulin resistant. I mean, they may or may not know it, uh, and yeah. that may cause some inflation to the joints, which is causing visits to Doctor John up there. Yeah, what causes uh, inflammation to the joints is the elevated blood glucose, as John has alluded to. But that is caused by insulin resistance, and insulin resistance is caused by persistently high blood glucose. So the issue is blood glucose being elevated because we've gone to this high-carb diet, and then uh, you, you get insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is basically the simplest way to think of it is the organs are resisting the signal from insulin. Blood glucose is going up. Pancreas is releasing insulin, saying, take this blood glucose into your cells, into your muscles, for example. And the muscles are saying, we got all the energy we need. We're going to resist that signal. We aren't going to listen to you, insulin. So uh, the pancreas keeps kicking out insulin. It doesn't get the message. That causes insulin resistance. And then this deposition of fat around the middle that we talked about. Okay. So that, that causes inflammation to the joints? 
Well, high blood glucose causes inflammation to the joints, just like high blood glucose attaches to your hemoglobin to get your hemoglobin A1C number and attaches to the lining of your blood vessels, causing inflammation and eventually clogging. That's why diabetics, for example, get peripheral vascular disease or kidney failure. That blood glucose also attaches to your cartilage and accelerates that inflammatory process that John talked about. So if you can get your blood glucose down, you can decrease your joint tamping. I have all kinds of patients that come in with a hemoglobin A1C of 9.5, and we get them down to 6.5 or less, and they have less joint pain even before they've lost weight. So um, blood glucose is inflammatory, including the cartilage. And if you can get your blood glucose under control, and not won't, it will not only help you lose weight, but it will decrease the inflammation in those joints. So Dr. John, does, does high blood glucose affect arthritis? It seems like arthritis is a big issue in your area, right? What what it does. And and so what I always like to do is I like to back up and show everybody, you know, what the, the topic is. So diabetes in general um, is broken into two and perhaps three categories now. The diabetic type one person is the one who's younger at age. His pancreas doesn't even make insulin. So those people have problems at a younger uh, point of life but right. they have to deal with the same effects. The second type called type two, we get in adult life. Dr. Paul talked about that type of insulin resistance, which is more of a chronic response of the body cells, not opening up to the stimulus that they need to utilize the sugar. And that is what leads to issues with your vessels and the other body parts, including the joints. Um, I'd like to also suggest that the new studies are coming out that a type three diabetes is really what's linked to uh, maybe the development of Alzheimer's or dementia, where the uh, issues getting to the brain are being clogged in a similar fashion. And some of these vascular dementias, which have the small vessels to the brain, also incorporate how signals get taken in and out of the um, um, the brain cells. And what happens is, as we accumulate some of these uh, certain peptides, we've talked about other kinds of proteins, there are things called tau particles, and some of these other um, what called amyloid uh, depositions, and they kind of clog the little railways that let nutrients and information flow in and out of brain cells. What does that do? That affects your memory and your learning ability as we get older. So there, there may be a link for what people think is this uh, condition of overweight people, hyper um, cholesterol, high hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar, and other conditions together, leading to some of the issues with um, dementia. And that that's getting the surface scratched. And we, we, we've been looking for a miracle with these tau particles with all these Alzheimer's drugs, and it's not, they're not working. And that's because there's no collaboration between the drug companies. Everybody wants their own cure. So nobody tells the other person what they're working on. They're all working on the wrong thing because it's not working. Someone else has to come up with a better way. And maybe the better way is prevention, which is what a lot of this podcast and a lot of what Dr. Paul does is prevention. You know, we always say, may you never know what you prevent. So if you've got a history of dementia in your parents or grandparents, we all feel bad, but more importantly, the baby boomers and the younger people are like, well, am I going to get that? And how do I know if I'm going to get that? And there are certain genetic 
predispositions with certain, these things called APOE um, genes that 20% of the population already has, but not everybody will have that become a problem for them. So I think we're trying to tackle a lot of different things. Um, I think arthritis is, as Paul said, the thing that disables more people. We know things like cancer and heart disease kill more people, but as people get older, what keeps them from moving around is their painful joints. And those are affected by your weight. And, and Paul will tell you they're affected by things like tomato sauce or tomatoes that are pro-inflammatory. There are foods that aggravate, we talked about gout and kidney stones, and they aggravate your joints. So there are some uh, you know, healthier uh, lifestyles that avoid pro-inflammatory things to your joints also. Well, I, we got about a minute left in, in this podcast, but I can tell you right now, we didn't get through a fraction of all the topics we could have talked about. So uh, I think we're going to probably try to line you guys up again to do another podcast because there's all kinds of things we didn't hit on. And I think they'd be important to hit on. Uh, is there anything that we should be saying as we signing off this podcast that we want to leave them on the topics we did cover today that we didn't get to say? Um, I would just say educate yourself. You know, people have power to control the future, their health future. So just educate yourself on these topics. Um, and, and that will go a long way. Um, and then I just want to thank both you guys. I especially, uh, you know, thank you, Terry. But I want to thank John for having me on his podcast. Well, you mean because he doesn't beat you up when you're in high school? <laughs> there, yeah. Who, by the yeah. way, who took Thanks who's... for not doing too much damage. Who took whose lunch money? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't eat. We didn't eat after about Thursday because we had to lose weight. It was crazy. Um, I do have a summary statement, and I and I yeah. just wrote just two lines. Uh, it says weight loss is a tough endeavor, but if you are going to, uh, if you're overweight, there's no single action that can provide as many positive effects on your body. This will lower your risk of diabetes, heart disease, sleep apnea, certain cancers, maybe dementia, and certainly some of your arthritis discomforts or dis disabling features. So, you know, again, it's, it's, there are people that will help you along the way. How would we find Dr. Paul, if we wanted to ask him for some of his services? You yellow, have pages, yeah. or yellow pages under Dr. Paul. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as yellow pages anymore. Dr. Come Paul, on, tell him how they can reach you. So it's uh, metabolicmds.com. That's my practice, the word metabolic and then mds.com. I, you know, mostly a telemedicine practice now because this kind of practice lends itself to telemedicine. And I can see patients anywhere in Ohio, Indiana, Florida, and Arizona. And then you gave me an opening, so I will do a shameless plug here. Uh, so, and, and a lot of what we've talked about is in the book, The Continuous Glucose Monitor Revolution that's on Amazon. It's been out about eight months best-selling book on continuous glucose monitors. I know we didn't get into that, but those are the uh, devices you see on the back of diabetics arms. Oh, I yeah. use them in non-diabetics and pre-diabetics because it really drills down to this, ins this issue of insulin resistance. So uh, thanks for allowing me to plug my practice in my book. All right. Well, good. Dr. Johnny, last words from you. Uh, no, we, uh, we appreciate our listeners. Uh, I think you want to like us on all the social media sites. If you can, uh, this podcast does go global. We appreciate the, uh, um, the interpretation of our, uh, foreign dignitaries on using pounds instead of kilograms. That's and, right. uh, but, uh, for the most part, we're all, we're all on the same timeline here. 
moving through our earth. So um, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Terry and thanks to Ted's dressing for the sponsor. Well, that's right. Ted's dressing. And, and by the way, we may have Taylor Swift on as a guest. So just keep tuning in and maybe you'll see Taylor Swift on here really soon. Sure. All right, guys, this has been an episode of the bone and joint playbook with Dr. John Urs. And you can also catch Dr. Paul Kolosik on the Metabolic MD podcast. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us.